Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find you all in good form on this Tuesday morning. John Paul is back taking your calls uh, this morning at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Yesterday on our news service, we were uh, at the announcing that the Pope had decided who was to be the new Bishop of Cork and Ross. And it was announced as a Dublin priest. The Bishop-elect is Father Fintan Gavin and uh, I'm delighted to say we've managed to track him down and he's going to be talking with us um, about quarter past half past 11 this morning on the programme it'll be our first opportunity to speak with what will be the new Bishop of Cork and uh, Ross and he's young he's uh, 53 I don't know I don't know if that's one of the young he will be probably one of the youngest bishops uh, in Ireland I don't know if that if if it is the youngest age that a bishop has been appointed but certainly at uh, 53 he's certainly younger than a lot of the other bishops he's got big big shoes to fill though with Bishop John Buckley who as we speak uh, I believe he's heading to Kinsale because it's confirmation. He's right in the middle of confirmation season and obviously Bishop John Buckley will be bishop for another few months yet before Father uh, Finton uh, Gavin uh, takes over. But he's he's a dub. Looking forward by all accounts to coming to uh, Cork. He's fluent in Spanish and in Italian. And I like the fact that the work that he's been doing in Dublin, he loves to get out there and work with the community and working to bring the community together. So that's going to be interesting as to what will, I'm, I'm assuming he'll bring that skill with him to Cork. And uh, we will chat with him, as they say, uh, after 11 on the programme today. That's the new Bishop-elect of uh, Cork and Ross, Father Finton uh, Gavin. I don't know if he's got any Cork roots at all, but we will welcome him and we will love him as much as they say we we love uh, Bishop John Buckley. He is going to be dearly, dearly missed. Uh, And I was just saying to John Paul, uh, obviously... Father Bo- Bishop Buckley very busy at the moment with all the confirmation seasons uh, that are on uh, maybe when he's finally officially retired I mean he's been trying to retire for probably about the last five years and he's a man with great energy I mean only before Christmas when we were doing our outside broadcast from 
glow. We we had Bishop Buckley and Bishop Paul Colton in studio and the two of them together are just magical. They're just wonderful to sit in the presence of the two of them and the way the two of them talk about each other and uh, the way their paths have crossed o- over the years and I'm sure that Bishop Paul Colton will do the, the same with the new Bishop-elect uh, Fintan uh, Gavin but it was fantastic to talk with Bishop uh, John Buckley. I didn't realise it was going to be um, his, I don't know, wonder did he realise it was going to be his last Christmas as Bishop of Cork but what we're, what we're promising to do is when all the dust settles down and he's officially retired and he's can be nice and relaxed we'll get him into studio and have a nice good long chat uh, with him because he's one of the most interesting and informative guys and he's got just wonderful stories and he's got such humanity about him and if you've ever been in hospital you'll know he's fantastic the way he does the rounds of the hospital and he'll just turn up I mean I don't know I'd love to say turns up unannounced I think he probably does he just whenever he's got some free time but he loves to be out and with the people and of course Bishop Buckley a great Inchigili man he absolutely adores his West Cork uh, roots so your thoughts and, and memories of the wonderful Bishop John Buckley in the last few months now that he has as Bishop of Cork and Ross 1850 333103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. Now, we are going to speak with Minister Jim Daly on the programme this morning because the National Transport Authority have come out and they have said no to uh, Jim Daly's suggestion that we have an Uber style rural taxi. Now, we've spoken with Jim about having this Uber style rural taxi service before in the programme and any time we've mentioned it we get so many people contacting us from rural areas saying that it is so difficult A, to either get a taxi or a hackney in their area particularly if it's say the Friday or the Saturday nights and then if you can if you are in a rural area and you do manage to locate a taxi it's going to cost a lot of money and we know if you've ever used Uber Uber's not in Ireland but if you've used Uber in other countries you will know it is a cheaper way of getting a taxi because it's people using their own cars so Jim Daly's suggestion was to get a style He's not talking about bringing Uber into Ireland, but he's talking about Uber, an Uber-style licence in rural areas. So you'd have maybe one in every village, one or two in every village, every small town. And these would be local people who would use their own cars and there would be a special insurance scheme set up similar again to what they do with Uber. Anyway, the National Transport Authority have come out and they have knocked the idea on the head. So we're going to find out a little bit more from Jim Daly as to what he plans to do now with that scheme because he he's quite adamant that this is the way forward and you know he's been talking about it as I say for quite some time and he has been suggesting that this is a solution for rural isolation it's not just all about going to the pub it's also about getting people out and about during the day so we'll we'll speak with Jim on the programme today primary health care facilities do we need more primary health care centres dotted all over the county and if we had them and if we had them fully operational with proper services proper health services and procedures that could be done in these healthcare centres would it stop what happened at Cork University Hospital last week this time last week we were talking about the status black at Cork University Hospital if we could get more people treated 
in their own communities, which dare I say is what people would want, it would stop them going up to the accident and emergency department. And if we have less people going to the accident and emergency department, we wouldn't have the congestion we had last week and we wouldn't have the case where they had to put this status black on the hospital and warning people on, what was it, Monday night of last week, 12 hours plus of a wait at time. We're going to speak with a teacher who runs ASD units. I think there's three ASD units in his school, in secondary school. We often talk about children who have been diagnosed on the autism spectrum and we often speak about the problems that they have trying to get a place in primary school but it isn't often that we talk about secondary schools and there seems to be an even bigger problem in secondary schools so we're going to speak to somebody who's at the cold face of it because it's somebody who's working in the situation at second level. So I'm very interested in hearing this teacher's views later on on the programme. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Trish O'Neill from Dunamore, a mother from Dunamore, who was talking about her young son, Connor, who's six and a half and who's been homeschooled. And she was just saying it is not working out and she's desperate to get her son a place. And she's been told it'll be at least two years before a suitable facility can be found for Connor and that just simply isn't good enough and of course I knew the day I was talking with Trish about her son Connor that you know this wasn't a family on its own she Connor isn't the only child who is stuck without a place without a school to go to well it seems hundreds of what's been described of, in, of invisible children with autism or special needs are being excluded from school but they do not show up in any official statistics this is according to some new research that's come out this week many Vulnerable children have been unable to access school places because schools say they simply cannot cope with the additional needs of the pupil. In some cases, children have been expelled. This is primary school children we're talking about now. They've been expelled by schools. Our parents have themselves decided to withdraw their children because they knew the facility wasn't uh, suitable. The findings have come out in a survey of more than 300 families of children who've been excluded for school. And it was conducted by the autism charity As I uh, Um, And the actual overall study is due to be published shortly. This is just some of the findings. 90% of the respondents said they've had no contact from TUSLA, uh, the Child and Welfare Agency. And these are children... These are families whose children have already been excluded from school. I mean, you would assume straight away that Tusla would move in if a child is not going to school because we know if parents decided just suddenly this morning, I'm not going to send my child to school anymore, you'd have Tusla down on top of you saying, why isn't your Johnny and Mary uh, going to school? And of course, As I Am, the autism charity that was founded by Adam Harris, who of course happens to be a brother of Simon Harris, he has said the scale of the problem was a national scandal. He said these children, he's using the word, are invisible. They don't show up in statistics. He said it's happening under our noses and the state is pretending that it isn't. He's gone on to call on the Minister for Education uh, to seek urgent policy advice from the National Council for Special Education on the issue of uh, school exclusion and that's what's happening at primary level and what we're going to be hearing about today shows it's even worse at uh, second level. And Joe Heffernan joins us after half past twelve today and Joe is is picking up on an issue that we addressed yesterday when I spoke with Harold Kingston from the IFA. Harold joined us to talk about Antashka asking children to go meat free and farmers obviously are up in arms 
about anybody suggesting that we should give up meat. And of course, while I was chatting with Harold, I brought up his very powerful and emotional interview that he gave on The Late Late last Friday where he opened up about his burnout and the reaction that he got to that interview. And Joe Heffernan today is going to be talking about burnout on the programme. As always, your thoughts and welcomed, your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning. Can I remind you that I'm involved with a table quiz where we're organising some money uh, to bring with us on a trip that I'm going on to Belarus in the first weekend in May. And uh, we're collecting money and doing some fundraising to help out uh, families who've been affected by the Chernobyl disaster and in particular we want to help out young people that used to come to the Mallow area and the North Cork area when they were children and as teenagers they came from many came from one particular orphanage they're now young adults some of them with their own families have gone on to marry and have children uh, of their own and uh, some of them have fallen on hard times and can just do with a little bit of help and a little bit of uh, support. So we're holding a table quiz in Mona's Bar in Mallow this Thursday night at half past eight. Tables are four for €40 Euro, and I'm delighted that C103 have sponsored the prizes and there's some really nice prizes to the winning table at the table quiz. So do come along and join us in Mona's on Thursday night. Now a Mitchellstown listener, I love these dilemmas. We had dilemmas last week about how much do you give, how much money do you give when you're going to a wedding and there was a huge amount of discrepancy uh, in it and what I tell you what really shocked me by the time we got to Friday was hearing from people, some people were very very generous with their wedding gifts. The average seemed to be for a wedding. The average seemed to be between, for a couple, it seemed to be about 200 euro. 150, 200 euro is what a couple give if they're going to a wedding. That seemed to be around the average. Then we had a couple of people who were more generous if it was a godchild or if it was a niece or a nephew or, you know, if it was a, a family member. But then I was really blown away at the end of the week by the numbers of people who contacted us to say because I was I was off the belief that oh if it's a family member people would be more generous not always the case it seems we had a large number of people contact us to say that families can be downright mean and that people turn up to family weddings and because it's a family wedding they don't give anything at all and the point was made by one listener saying that if that was neighbours children whose wedding they were going to it was her sister had come to her wedding along with nieces and nephews you know adult nieces and nephews and I think six in total came and they didn't even give a card on the day and she was making the point that if it was their neighbours her sister's neighbours children they would have given you know wonderful gifts but because it was a family member they didn't and I was really quite taken aback by that but a Mitchestown listener says could you put this out please and ask your listeners their view my sister-in-law had a baby a few months ago and I gave a baby present at the time that the baby was born. Now I've been invited to the christening. Am I expected to give another card and another gift? I would be really interested in the views of uh, you and your listeners please. Kind regards and that's from a Mitchellstown uh, listener. Yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've soul searched over this one as well uh, in the past. It's a tricky one because if you're going along to a christening and it's a day out and there there might be a meal, there might be a sit down meal or there might be a buffet and maybe a few drinks. Would you feel mean if you turn up with your hands hanging and bring nothing at all? I mean, certainly what I would feel if you if you have bought what you felt was quite a generous baby present, you know, a nice present, then 
I wouldn't go to the christening with nothing. I mean, I certainly would get, you know, a nice little christening card. You could maybe go along with a smaller gift. I, I would just find it hard to turn up with nothing. But I don't know if I would be expecting if you know, I'm just thinking if it was me and that you had come and given me a lovely gift when the baby was born I don't know if I'd be expecting you to turn up with another you know equally as generous gift anyway let's see what listeners have to say about this you give a baby present when the baby is born then the christening happens so many months later are you expected to give another gift and you know should it be on par with the gift you give as a baby or can you look on it that I gave a gift when the baby was born I will willingly come along to the your, your christening but I don't see why I should give a gift because I've already given the gift when the baby was born your thoughts welcome on that Court today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 1850 transport chiefs have been accused of limiting competition and of protecting local hackney drivers after a refusal to grant extra licences for a proposed new rural taxi service West Cork Junior Minister uh, Jim Daly has been calling for an Uber style taxi service uh, which many say would help to combat social isolation. Minister Jim Daly joins me. Good morning to you Jim. Good morning. Um, and, and you're welcome. Firstly you're in Dunmanway this morning. This is you're, you're trying to move along your idea for of a retirement village of, as such. I am indeed yeah. Uh, thanks Patricia and thanks for having me on your show. Um, I'm in Dunmanway this morning here uh, at the Family Resource Centre meeting with the, the people here in the Family Resource Centre and Cork County Council and Clued Housing. Uh, where we're trying to drive and Councillor Declan Harley's with as well where we're trying to drive the, the project forward um, to see can we get uh, basically get housing for the elderly built here on a site out Kilbarry Road and get community facilities such as a Meals and Wheels Hub and maybe some other ancillary services as well in a community building uh, developed so it's, it's going well the project is going well we're um, looking at some designs here with Clued Housing this morning and trying to I suppose drive it forward um, get the funding necessary for it and get the, the planning in and all of that but we're, we're confident we can do what I've referred to before as one of the first demonstrator sites in Ireland of this housing for the elderly that would be built very specially uh, designed to make sure that it's equipped with everything that's necessary for people as they get older and that you would have on-site supports to allow people to to live out uh, their older years in a in a supported environment without having to go into uh, North and, and, you, and your idea your idea is that this will be replicated then across the country Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. That we try and get this up and running. This model here developed in the Manway, and that would be the model that would be replicated Terrific. in every town uh, throughout Ireland. Okay, go back to the National Transport Authority. What reason, Jim, have they given you for refusing these rural style licences? Yeah, the, the issue there is, and I've been talking with you and your listeners before about trying to, rural taxis are, are like hen's teeth. They're very, very scarce. There are a number of hackney drivers there, but not enough of them. And everybody's looking for them at the same time and they can't get them. And it, it's causing a lot of problems for businesses on the high street, for people themselves to get out and about. So I met with the National Transport Authority and uh, kind of raised this issue with them and said, would they, um, I you know, would they, I suppose, contemplate an Uber-style system. And what Uber is, is essentially anybody can drive their own car for a number of hours in a week and go out and do a few local collections. So on a Wednesday evening, you could be sitting at home and say, do you know what, I'll do uh, Uber tonight, so I'll just make my car available. It's all done on an app on your phone. You just log into the app on your phone and say, I'm available from 4 to 8 this evening. And anybody in that area within a 6 or 8 mile or kilometre radius will can pick up, uh, can get you, can call you to come and take them for a quick run. It's 
much cheaper than the, the standard uh, hackneys because they have so much business going on. Uh, it's a bit like Airbnb for uh, the accommodation sector. It's people utilising what they have themselves and making the service available to people. But Ireland is one of the few countries that Uber isn't allowed in. So I went and met with the National Transport Authority to query this, and they're basically saying that, look, there is such a thing as a rural taxi taxi license or hackney license available. It only costs €65, and anybody can apply for it. They don't have to do the knowledge test, this knowledge-based test that causes a lot of problems. They don't have to have a wheelchair-accessible vehicle, so they can use a vehicle provided it's roadworthy and NCT approved and that. Car insurance? Car insurance is still the sticking point. That uh. still is a challenge. That still is an issue for them. But a bigger problem was that uh, since these licenses were made available back in 2013 or 14, these rural hackney licenses, only 14 have been issued in the country. So that suggests to me there's a major issue with these. Uh, what is it? And then I discovered that there is also a clause there that they will not um, issue a rural hackney license where other hackney or taxi services are operating which to me sounds strange that the regulator of an industry, somebody who would be, you know, like say HICRA regulate nursing homes, but they don't decide that you can open there, but you can't open there because there's a nursing home down the road. Regulators don't by their very nature dictate who can and who can't do what. So I was, uh, so I wrote to them and that's the letters that came out under Freedom of Information, I think there at the weekend, which showed where I was uh, challenging the NTA on why they have this policy of um, deciding that they can't give a rural hackney licence where there's other hackney is already existing. Uh, I think that's that's discriminatory, really, to be honest. Uh, I think it's unfair. I think it's uh, unhelpful. So what they've come back to me and said is, look, that they are reviewing that decision and that they are encouraging people, and that's what I'd like to do as well, is to encourage people to apply for rural hackney licence. It only costs €65. Yes, the insurance is still an issue, and I'll speak on that in one second. But uh, you can apply with €65 and get your licence, and you don't have to wheelchair accessible. You don't have to do this knowledge-based test. And I think that could be a big help to lots of the existing hackney Drivers because there are yeah because there are a lot of areas that are just not adequately covered when yeah. it comes to a hackneys. Yeah, and there's two things required. We need a cultural shift. We need people to use hackneys more, but we need more hackneys available. So we need yeah. culture. We need people to kind of say, you know what, I'll go to bingo tonight. I don't like driving in the dark. I'll call uh, a hackney. And I think the best way to do that is probably on these apps on our phones. Um, mm. I know older people will find, some older people, I won't generalise there for a moment, because many older people are very tech-savvy and are, are well able to use the phones and the apps. But that is a great way, because everybody has the platform on their phone to call an app. You'd like Traditionally, if you want to get... Uh, Hackney and, and you go to the pub counter or the restaurant counter and ask them you know have they a number for a hackney and so that's a kind of an antiquated way really of getting hackneys we need to create more business for hackneys and we need to uh, have more hackneys on the road and existing hackney drivers who seem to think that what I'm proposing is a challenge to them I don't accept that I think it's the opposite I'm trying to support them get more people using their service and I think if they're stuck to get drivers they can get their drivers to apply for because they raise with me the issue of this knowledge-based theory test that you have to do to get a hackney license you have to know if you could be asked about where is the library in Yall for example if you were down in Clannacilty and and that doesn't make any sense but, to you, me. Could, but you go on Google Maps well, yeah, well, that's what we all do. But you have to know what for the theory test there and then in front of them. You know, they'll ask you where is the library, or you know, they'll ask you. You need to have a working knowledge of the entire county of Cork. And that's crazy. 
that is crazy. But if, if existing Hackney drivers encouraged um, new drivers to apply for the rural Hackney licence, they would avoid that. They ha- won't have to do it. Okay. All right. And, I, and, and then, the, but the just briefly on the insurance, how how you get around the insurance? We were only speaking with the uh, Alliance for Insurance uh, Reform on the programme, and we could lose all of our our children's play centres because insurance is crippling people, and it's obviously turning people off becoming Hackney drivers. Yeah, the, the issue with Hackney is, that, I mean, the solution to it is insurance companies should be only insuring Hackney drivers while they're on the road picking up fares. So at the moment, if I, um, you know, applied for a rural Hackney licence, €65, Euro, if I took my car out just on a Friday evening and a Saturday evening for four hours on a Friday and four hours on a Saturday and picked up a few fares just for a hobby or for whatever for myself, uh, I would still have to get insurance 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a Hackney licence. And mm. I'm only driving it for eight hours. So the, the key to this is to ensure people while they're actually on duty, not on call, while they're actually on duty. That can all be done very easily by the app in the car, which picks up the mileage that you do and where you're travelling from and, and all of that. And that's how Uber work. Uber work, if Uber was allowed into this country, they pay the insurance for the Hackney driver. So you sign up to Uber and every time you collect a call, Uber collect, you know, the, the minutes. But are you going to have to persuade the, the insurance industry to go with that? Yes, you would have to. Now, they're doing it in other countries, so there's no reason why they can't yeah. do it in Ireland. But Ireland are still refusing to we're allow not, the well, we're not, you're not. You're not trying to reinvent the, way, the wheel. All no, right. no, no, okay. no, no, It's done there already. All right, OK. Before we let you go, just a couple of other uh, issues, because you are the, with responsibility for older people. We had an elderly uh, lady who contacted us yesterday. She's lost sleep at the weekend over fears raised by Fianna Fáil, saying couples who have deferred their local property tax may now be forced to pay because of the pension increase that they got at the end of March. Will the thresholds for deferrals for local property tax be increased? Yeah, I mean, it is recommended that they will and it is accepted that they will. The Minister for Finance has said that they will. Um, basically, what that is, is uh, I think people need to be clear because I got a text yesterday from somebody wondering, do pensioners have to pay any property tax? Unfortunately, the reality at the moment is they do, but they can defer it. You can defer it. Um, and what you mean by that is basically you can just say, I don't want to pay it until after you know, I have passed it can be taken from my estate and there's a 4% um, interest rate applied to it. That's available to older people. It's not utilised by very many. I think 15% of those eligible to defer property tax have availed of it, which would suggest that a lot of older people don't know that that facility is there, that they can actually defer payment of their their property tax. The issue is that they, the pensions have increased again this budget. I think they've increased by eighteen euro a week. Uh, I think it's only. Been. I think it only affects a couple on the maximum state pension. Exactly, they exactly, go over. Exactly. Yeah. A couple on the maximum would be uh, twenty five thousand eight hundred. Now would be what they would be getting, and that is uh, eight hundred euro over the, the limit. Uh, sorry, sorry five hundred euro. I think it puts some five hundred euro over the limit for deferring. Uh, on an annual basis, but that is only applying to a couple who are both in receipt of the maximum pension rate. Yeah, but that was the family who that was the family who contacted us yesterday. So there are some families that it's affecting. Do you they know are. are are they going to increase the threshold? Yeah, well, they are going to increase it, but it probably won't be done this year. Now, the revenue do have discretion, as they have in all cases. They have discretion if there's a you know a serious financial issue there for the people. But it probably won't be done realistically this year. It will be done, I would hope, next year when the overall you know the agreement to defer every aspect of the the property tax for 12 months includes this. But I suppose to put it in context for people, I mean, their pension collectively has increased by 500 euro. 
uh, in the year, I don't think the property tax you know, would be 500 a year. So the increase in the pension this year would actually be more than the actual cost of the property tax uh, for the year. Um, unless the house was worth more than four or five hundred thousand. Yeah, I've no, I, 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 did, I didn't get into that yeah. with her, but she was just. I know, I know. She, yeah. I just, so I, I just thought the fact that she'd lost a night's sleep, I just thought it was, it was cruel. You know what I mean? I just thought she was worrying. I felt she was worrying needlessly. But people, minute property tax get mentioned. Everyone's of this belief that it's one of those charges that has come in that is going to grow and grow and grow, and just you know, it's going to go go higher when the review happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a worry, of course, a worry about it. But I mean, look, we've been assured and reassured that it won't be, you know, there will be fair, equitable, modest. Uh, Pascal Dunne, who has mentioned that word every time he speaks on, on property tax, that they will find a mechanism to ensure that there isn't a significant And it's not going to change, we know, for two years. OK, and just very briefly, could you ask Jim Wallery's views on the newly opened Ring Road in Clonakilty? It is much narrower than the previous, so much so that the white line can't be done around the turn nearest the roundabout. The contractors knew it was wrong, but they had to go with plan A. Yeah, I did drive down it myself last week and I was struck by how narrow it is. It does appear to be very, very narrow. Um, now, I didn't I didn't meet a car on my way down, so I didn't see whether there's a difficulty with two cars passing on. It certainly is, and they have left a bit of a footpath, a very narrow footpath on one side and a, and a wider footpath on the other side. But look, I accept what they're saying. It does appear to me to be a very, very narrow road. Um, what... But the reasoning for that is, I don't know. I don't have any formal response from the contractors as to it, or I haven't discussed that with anybody other than to notice it myself that it appears quite narrow. But it's done. It's finished, isn't it? The road is done. Well, it's done and finished, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's done and finished and open. OK. And open, yeah. All right, we leave it and there. I'll let, you get, I'll let you get back to your meeting there in Dunmanway, but I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us, Jim. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. That is um, Minister Jim Daly. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Last week, many people were shocked when the Cork University Hospital was declared a status black and that was due to excessive congestion with wait times at the Accident and Emergency Department at over 12 hours. Sheila Nidul of the Social Democrats in McCroom has called for a broader range of healthcare facilities to be available in rural towns and uh, Sheila joins me with more on this. Good morning to you, Sheila. Good morning, Patricia. Sheila, were you very worried to hear this day last week what was going on at Cork University Hospital and in particular what was going on at the A&E? Of course, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. I mean, you could have really ill people waiting in a waiting area. There were ambulances outside who couldn't um, offload the patients and it's just, it's terrifying to think that that's what we might have to deal with if any of us get ill, you know. And the president of the IMO, when we were talking about it last week, came out and said, you know, almost like get used to it, folks. This is going to be the norm. Unless we do something differently, this is going to be the norm. Well, the thing is, there is something we can do differently and it's called slaughter care. You know, it's um, the the plan for a one-tier health system across the country. It's got cross-party approval. Everybody thinks it's a brilliant idea, but the current government aren't investing in it. And now I understand it will take... Um, it'll take a lot of investment now, but it's investing in our future. And sometimes I feel like the current government are only investing in the next year or two, where I think we need to look a lot further down the road. Um, the situation's only going to get worse, you know. Part of that, you believe, would be primary health care facilities. We, it would just, we need them in all of our communities. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm out here in McCroom and um, if you think about it, if you, they have a sprain and you need to, an x-ray to make sure that it's not a break, you have to go all the way into CUH and take up the time, you know, in the emergency department and the staff there are under so much pressure as, as it is. Wouldn't it be so much easier if you could go down to a primary health care centre in your town for a quick x-ray or, you know, if you need an IV medication every week that you don't have to go all the way into Cork and that you can have that treatment close to home. Uh, blood tests that need to be put on ice. There's so many things that could be done with a bit of investment in our communities and take a bit of pressure off the A&E department. And what about our smaller hospitals, Sheila, uh, Bantry and Mallow? Do we need to revisit the decision that was taken to close the A&E departments there? Absolutely. I mean, you only have to look at what's happening in CUH this week. You know, um, so many of those patients could have been diverted. Obviously, um, non-emergency patients would be diverted to smaller hospitals like Mallow and Bantry. um, And that would uh, free up space for the real, you know, serious emergency patients that need all of the the various equipment and consultants that are available in CUH. Yeah, I mean, I certainly felt this time last week when we were issuing the warnings to people before they headed to to, to CUH. Uh, my big fear was that some patients avoided going to CUH. Yeah, Pe- and it's, but people who should be attending. Absolutely, and it's not just the patients who avoided going, which is terrifying. I actually met a woman who was in A and E with a broken leg, and she had an injured collarbone. She couldn't use crutches, so she was in a wheelchair. And it was the bank holiday weekend and she was sent home on the Friday evening uh, in a wheelchair. Her house was not accessible. She couldn't access facilities in her house. She had no one to look after her and there was no nobody we could ring because it was a bank holiday weekend. There was no district nurse on duty. Uh, so she was essentially abandoned in her own home, not able to access the kitchen and the bathroom and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's the other end of it is that unfortunately the staff need to move people along as quickly as possible to free up beds. So and had she, be, she, wa- she wasn't a patient at the hospital, she just went into to the accident emergency department, was it? Yeah, with, with a broken leg, yeah. And did they, because I, I know when, if she'd been in uh, the, the hospital there'd be, you know, an, uh, a discharge plan, but there obviously isn't the same thing with an A&E, is it? They just treat you and you're out the door? It doesn't seem to be. I think... Um, I imagine they're supposed to check, you know, that you have someone at home to you look w- after you. You would think that somebody with a broken leg, you would be asking, is there somebody at home to look after you? Yeah, she she has family, but they had to work over the weekend. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, this, you can have family and family aren't always available uh, and around. All right. OK, uh, Sheila, thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Sheila Nidul of the Social Democrats in McCroom. Uh, we need to sort of... I don't even think it's think outside the box when it comes to what's happening in, in our health services. Sheila said, Care. how long have we been talking about Care? Put it into action because on paper, it does look like this is the solution. It's, you know, allowing people to be treated in the community. That's where people want to be treated. You don't. If you need to have some procedure done this morning and you can have it done in your local 
primary healthcare centre or some kind of a health centre that we build you one if there isn't one there at the moment if you can have it done five minutes from your front door you're going to take that over having to get into the car if you're in a county area and having to drive into the city and parking and finding parking and paying for parking and sitting and queuing up with everyone else to have the procedure done everybody wants to have those kind of services on their doorstep and that's what Shalonta Care is all about but we continue to wait for the investment that's needed to put Shalonta Care into action You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed my apologies to a WhatsApper who had some questions in for uh, Minister Jim Daly. Unfortunately, sometimes WhatsApp can be slow and the, the comments don't come in on time for me to put them to uh, whoever the interviewee is. But anyway, let me raise the points that this listener wants to raise. Uh, I don't know if it's male or female. Uh, WhatsApper wants to know what is going to be done about dog fouling in Bandon? Is it particularly bad in Bandon at the moment? Have you noticed that? A lot of people not cleaning up after their dogs. Also, the roads are very bad, full of potholes, uneven surfaces, damaging tyres and suspension. And we know we had the good news story yesterday that Bernie, who was producing the show yesterday when she damaged her tyre a couple of weeks ago, she found out yesterday she's going to be compensated €108 to cover the cost of her new tyre. So it's word of advice to people if you hit a pothole and you've damaged your tyre your wheel or in this case suspension get photographs and get it into the council anyway the sister also says my last point relates to water uh, it smells really bad it is full of chlorine have other okay a lot of things there have other people noticed about Banton water smelling quite strongly too much chlorine in the water is that an issue for anybody else dog fouling in Bandon seems to be particularly bad and potholes there's a long list of complaints uh, for the town of Abandon. We were talking about hospitals and what can be done in the community and trying to push Sloan to care and get Sloan to care in and try to stop so many people being funneled into the likes of Cork University Hospital and the A&E department in the status black that we had last year. Patricia, it would certainly be economic sense, certainly make economic sense to have people treated in a local hospital, even letting alone the cost of ambulances having to go to and from the county up to Cork City and in some cases they're bypassing a local hospital. It was really stupid to have taken that service away in the first place. Surely that must be looked at. And when we did interviews, when people tried their very best to stop the closure of the A&E department at Mallow and to stop the closure of the A&E department in Bantry, we had people saying, wait and see what's going to happen. Everyone up to CUH, that'll be gridlock up there with patients. And that's exactly what is coming true. And Margaret says, Patricia, what we, when we had the Southern Health Board, remember we had all the different health boards operating things, when we had them operating things, things were much better. Mallow is an, a super hospital. Why were the changes made? Why fix that? what, what wasn't broken, says uh, Margaret. And I take it, I could take a call in from anyone in West Cork who would say the very same thing about Bantry. Why fix what isn't broken? And the service that's there at the moment is absolutely uh, super. We get nothing, I have to say, nothing but glowing comments from patients who end up... Um, getting treated and, and in hospital for whatever reason in Bantry and in Mallow they are very very efficient little hospitals and maybe it's because they're small 
and that they're not able to do as many procedures that they do in the larger city hospitals. Maybe that's why they're so efficient. But definitely there's great staff, great management in both of those hospitals. And long, long may that continue. Now, on some other issues that we were addressing today, I would like to praise the current stop and go operators working in the Newtown Celtic Ross section of the N71 roadworks. They are efficient and they do their best to keep the traffic flowing. Even when the convoy van is used, the driver is ready to go as soon as the last car goes through. There's no loitering around, there's no blabbering or any rubbish like that. They just keep it moving. So well, well done to the stop and go operators. If anybody is driving through, roll down the window. Tell them we were talking about them on the radio and that they're doing a fantastic job. That's the stop and go operators at the Newtown Celtic Rocks section on the N70 at one. We were speaking about taxis and an Uber. Would we ever see Uber come into this country? And Jim Daly was talking about the knowledge test that's uh, required for hackneys. They need to know the whole of Cork. God, how would you be able to know the, you know, the, the, uh, the actual... Uh, uh, example that he used was being brought into an office and asked, well, where exactly is the library in Yall? Now, if you live in Yall, you're going to know where the library in Yall is. But if you're not from there, you know, I mean, just crazy, particularly when you have Google Maps. And it's so easy now for anyone to, nobody needs to get lost anymore because everybody has Google Maps on their phone and certainly all of the taxi and hackney drivers uh, would. I think the knowledge test, says a texter, is a requirement to prevent scenic route taxi route fares, i.e. A number of taxis were penalised for taking passengers the long way round in Dublin. For example, a tourist was collected at Dublin Airport and was taken on a scenic route that cost €25 Euro for a trip probably they would, they would have got for five or €10. Euro. Taxi was stopped at a checkpoint and questioned uh, on the route taken and couldn't justify it. I can't remember the penalty applied but a number of con- convictions happen regularly and we, you're always in, no matter where or what country you're in, there is always that danger when you get into a taxi at the airport and you get asked to be taken to a place. Isn't there always that danger that you're going to be going the scenic route? Now, I wonder with people having Google Maps on their phone, is that actually stopping the airport drivers deciding to take you to the scenic route? Because you could simply turn on, if you're in the back of a taxi, you can turn on your phone and plot out the exact route and say to the taxi driver, this is the route I want to take. So I wonder, is is that stopping that in uh, any way? And some of your calls in, this is people listening to Jim Daly when he was talking about, he is still not happy with the National Transport Authority who do not want to give out the Uber style licenses. Buddy is a taxi uh, driver. Jim hasn't a clue what he's talking about, says Buddy. Number one uh, is there was Uber taxis in Ireland, if there was, I'm assuming uh, Uber taxis in Ireland, any car could do it. I'm paying nearly €700 a year on insurance. It's absolutely crazy. You know, Jim Daly did mention that. He did say about about the insurance is the big it's the big bugbear isn't it for for taxis and obviously it's the big problem with trying to encourage people to even become rural hackney drivers it's the insurance I think is the one that's going to stop people doing it uh, Buddy also says if an ordinary person can sit down at home and then go out and drive around 
when they feel like giving up a few hours, which is what Jim was uh, suggesting, um, and they could do that and would reduce the cost of the insurance. It just, it simply won't uh, work. It's Anyway, Buddy said, it's bagging in the morning. That's the problem. He said, I'm at this game 19 years and you would do nothing in the week after 6.30, 7 o'clock. It's all on the weekends. I've already rang my insurance company for this year and the very minimum it would be is 6,600 euro. You're only picking up a lot of fares, wouldn't you, to make uh, that kind of money? And that's the same for all taxi drivers. Moraidin Skibbereen says is Jim encouraging people to break the law why do you say that Moraid how are they going to be how are they going to be how are they going to declare what they're making if they carry out an Uber style taxi uh, service does that mean anyone with a taxi or hackney insurance will be able to get this special rural transport service and forget their current setup. How would they pay revenue? How does it work? If someone on social welfare does it, do they have to declare it to the Department of Social Protection? People aren't going out anymore. It's the checkpoints that are upsetting people. Nothing against the Gardaí, but it's the checkpoints that are scaring people. Well, he he's saying how it would work. It would work like Uber. That's Uber works. It's done through an app. It's done through the, every time the, the driver gets into the car, the app is switched on. So it's 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 clocked how many hours they're working and how much each fare was. And, and so and that's the way. Obviously, from a revenue point of view, you can't go and do it and not pay tax uh, on it. So it's all done through an app, basically. That's how it works. And Jimmy Millstreet said, people are no longer going to bars just to drink at events. Many now are driving to the venue, drinking non-alcoholic uh, drinks and non-alcoholic beers that we mentioned yesterday was a suggestion put forward, actually, uh, as a way of combating rural isolation was for people to drink more non-alcoholic beers uh, and then they drive home so the habits are changing with more non-alcoholic products on the market 1850 333 103 lines open C103 Jobs a skilled worker is required for the North Cork uh, area. While any bass, they are looking for a part-time administrator slash salesperson to work a minimum of three days per week that's in their skull shop. And a housekeeper required to lead a cleaning team at a West Cork holiday home complex. And a Sullivan pharmacy that's at Dano Supervalue in Mallow. They're looking for a full-time support pharmacist four days a week. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. C103 presents Thunderland! Greenfields to Moor Road this April. New thrilling rides. The Hangover. The Giant Wheel. And the Magic Mouse Roller Coaster. Thunderland. Greenfields to Moor Road. From April 10th until 28th. Adventure for all the family. Book your tickets now at thunderland.com. With C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, as we heard yesterday on the news, Pope Francis has appointed Father Fintan Gavin, Chancellor of the Archdiocese of Dublin, as the new Bishop of Cork and Ross. He is to replace Bishop John Buckley. It's our first opportunity to speak with Bishop-elect Fintan Gavin and he takes time out to join us this morning. Good morning to you, Father uh, Fintan. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Delighted to be joining Well, gr- and great to speak to you. Firstly, congratulations to you. Thanks, I very um, much appreciate that. How did you find out that you were going to be the Bishop of Cork and Ross? I met with the Papal Nuncio, who's the Pope's delegate or representative here in Ireland two weeks ago. 
And he began by talking about other matters that would have concerned my day job here. I'd have had contact with him from time to time about different things. And then he just said that Pope Francis would like to change my responsibilities. And again, I thought that was something within the, the role I already had. And then he told me that Pope Francis would like to make me the Bishop of, of Cork and Ross. So I was very surprised. It wasn't something that was on my radar. Um, I was happily working away as a Dublin priest here for the last 27 years in, in all kinds of different ministries and, and very fulfilled in them. So let's say it wasn't part of my life plan at that stage. But has, has it, is, is it every priest's ambition to one day... No, I don't think so. It's certainly, I couldn't say it was an ambition of mine. It was, wasn't something... I think you start out as a priest wanting to serve, and wherever that service brings you, you respond. Um, and I suppose when I thought about it first, I've never said no to where I've been called by God to be. Um, but saying yes, I knew it was going to be something that would bring new challenges, and um, it took me a few days to get my head around that. And while I'm extremely excited now and really looking forward to it, I'm aware that it's, it's going to mean lots of different changes for me. Um, but no, I, I don't think so. It's, I suppose we, we work in, in a different way, at least I see that it, it, it's a life of, the word I used was a, a servant leader yesterday. So it's not, you know, it's to dare to, to serve the church, to serve the people, wherever you're called to be. So it's not in that sense as if it's kind of a, a step up a ladder. It's certainly that's not how I see it uh, anyway. And who, who was the first person you rang to tell the news? Was there a family member? Or? Well, I, I, I spoke to my, I met with my parents. I, I, again, I'm looking up, I, I was quite close to them here. So, so I was able to, again, try and, and, and pretend to go on with my ordinary business of the day and for a little while and then I, then I slipped home to see them and, and uh, Oh my goodness yeah. see, that must have been an exciting moment for them It was yeah it was, it, I suppose it was even a little bit emotional I mean they, they, they've been so supportive I'm one of seven children and they have supported us all in, in, in all kinds of different ways and have been always there for us and never you know never asked for anything but always just so supportive and again they've been just very supportive in this as well and we're thrilled yeah, and, and a great honour for them to sure, my yeah, son no. the bishop I can <laughs> I can see your mother saying it <laughs> and you're the eldest of seven is no I'm the that? second eldest second I'm an older eldest. brother who lives in England yeah I'm the second then okay and then we go down the youngest are twins and I was I actually had just was entering the seminary as they were born a few months earlier so it's almost I was often confused as, as their dad growing up because <laughs> it was that age difference you know but. and are they still at school Oh no, they're not. They're, they're, adults they're at all. This stage. Again, unfortunately, the years go on for all yeah, of us. Yeah, so they do indeed. So, and are you the only priest in the family? No, I have a younger brother. One of those twins, Morgan, is a priest in the oratory in Birmingham, in in England, where where John Henry Newman um, found the oratory there. So, um, which again is unusual in today's world that you have. You know, there was a time when there was there was was very often more than one member, you know, as a priest in a family. But um, so yes, so. Yeah, and you've been, you were ordained, you've been, have you been based all the time in Dublin since your ordination or where have you, have you been? No, I was, I was, I was ordained in 1991. I worked in Bray, which is in Wicklow, which will be in the Archdiocese of Dublin for a number of years. Then I was in Calnarden and West Halla, which will be in the outskirts of Dublin, was just, again, developing at that stage. And then I was asked to do postgraduate study. So I was in Rome for six years then after that. And then I've been back in Dublin since that. You know, because so. you're, you're fluent in Spanish and Italian. Yes, yeah. My Italian would be better than my Spanish. I, I, I spent three summers, of all places, working in Benidorm. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come about? It came about through a classmate in Rome, and they were looking for somebody who could speak Spanish and English. There's an awful lot of English tourists there, and the parish priest there would have had no English 
So I was a con- conjugate there for all the, the kind of the Spanish tourists. So you know, mass was bilingual. You, 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 you preached in Spanish and in English, and you greeted everybody in about four or five languages. So it was a great experience, and um, you know, all these things help to, to, to kind of help you on the journey with the different experiences that, um, that bring you on the way. And you also worked with the music director to develop a gospel choir. Yes. Is, mu- is music something that's Yeah, music important? Is, is very, I, I love music. Uh, I love young people. And um, part of my, my mandate when I went to that particular parish was to work with young people and this gospel choir had just started. So ironically, my, the two occasions in recent years that I have been in Cork have both been with the choir. Um, I was there for a wedding of one of the choir there in Gugambara, in St. Finbar's Oratory, in the last couple of years, two or three years ago. And then I was in the cathedral with the choir. We came down to sing in a competition in, in, as part of the Cork International Choral Festival. And we sang at Mass, the Vigil Mass, in the cathedral the evening before. And ironically, I don't usually sing with the choir, but on that occasion, there were short of tenor singers, so I actually sang <laughs> in the competition in, in, at the choral festival that year. I think it was 2013. Or Did you win? We didn't, but we have won many competitions since. They won Navin last year, and they won the two categories. So again, as a gospel choir, it can, you know, it's a new genre of music. So sometimes with chamber choirs and that, it, 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 um, it, it, it can be a challenge to kind of get, get placed in some of those general competitions. Yeah, I love uh, the gospel choirs. There's something just magical about gospel choirs. And they, they sang for the Pope, didn't they? They did, yeah. yeah. We, were, we were very fortunate. They, they were chosen to sing. Um, the Pope met with um, young couples who were about to marry and getting married, 350 of them, in the pro-cathedral, our cathedral in, in, in Dublin. And um, the choir were asked to lead the music at that, which was just, and again, I, w- I was very fortunate to be quite involved in the, the planning and organising of that. And um, it was just one of those magic moments. There was all young people in the cathedral, all young couples setting out in their lives. Mostly, I would say all, because people don't always get married. Mm. You know, but, you know, it was, it was a whole variety, but predominantly young couples setting out in life, full of energy in life. And Pope Francis gave them such encouraging words. And just to be there and to... to to be there with, with the choir that you've worked with over so many years, who again were so proud uh, to be there. I mean, one member of the choir even travelled back. She had just emigrated to the States, and so she travelled home for it. Ah, so, that's a special moment. And actually, yeah. our own Derek Ryan, the lead singer with, uh, one of the lead singers with Crystal Swing, oh, yeah. uh, himself and his wife, they, they were one of the newly, they had just been married, mm-hmm. and they delayed their honeymoon. Okay. If I remember rightly, yeah. because they got selected to go to that mass, and Derek has such a deep, deep faith. Sure. He just saw yeah. that as just yeah. a, yeah. A, a magical moment. So Cork and Ross, it's it's a it's a sprawling diocese because it's the city and it's got very rural areas as sure. well. Yeah, and it's two islands. I understand. Yes, I mean, it I've is. A lot about Cork and Ross in the last yeah. two weeks. <laughs> so you'll have a lot. You'll have a lot of travelling, and then Bishop Buckley. Uh, you've got uh, uh, and listen. I'm I'm really enjoying my chat with you, but I'm very conscious of the big shoes, and I'm sure you sure, are absolutely. that you have I mean, to fill. A wonderful man. He's fantastic. Um, you know, and, and and it's great to be be, be following someone like. Uh, Bishop John Buckley, he's he's been wonderful for me in these last couple of days, two weeks, um, and he is so loved by Cork people in Cork and Ross. Um, and you know, in, in a way, it's a lovely way to go into a diocese. You know, because I mean, you know, he's going to continue to be part of the diocese. He'll have a, a, a role, you know, in the sense he'll be able to enjoy his retirement in a way, but he'll be very much still part of things and whatever he chooses to be part of, I'd be delighted that he will be part of that. 
and uh, you know I, I just look forward to building that that goodwill I'll bring my own personality and um, hopefully be able to build on that I mean in one sense it's, it's, it's you know it's, it's two different people coming with different personalities to the same role and hopefully that will enrich it ultimately Yeah you've the 68 parishes mm-hmm. and you've got half the number of priests that Bishop Buckley would have had when he sure. was ordained that's, yeah. that's probably one of your biggest challenges it is. It's going to be a huge challenge in how we organise church and parish going into the future. Um, but, you know, the message we have, the message that Bishop Buckley started off with is the same message I'll have, which is the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's finding new ways of being able to bring that to people um, that works. And, you know, please, God, we'll, we'll be working very hard with, you know, encouraging vocations. There's one student in the seminary at the moment and there, there, there has been, you know, while there hasn't been the numbers there would have been years ago, there has been a trickle of, of, of guys coming forward. And um, it's something we're going to have to really, you know, look at and work at and pray about and, you know, let people know that this is a really a good life choice. I mean, I am, you know, have no regrets on the life I took on. I was ordained in 91. And as we all know, since 1991, lots of things changed with the year after that. We had Eamon Casey, Michael Cleary. And all the things that have unfolded since that, which are kind of part of the shadow side of our church, and we can't forget those, we can't deny them, we can't apologise enough for them. But there's a message there of the gospel that's positive, that's life-giving, that we need to to build on, and, and, and that's what I'll be hoping to do going into the future. Okay, and when do you officially take up the role? That date hasn't really been set. Okay. Um, it'll be in the next few months. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be making my home in Cork, which I'm really looking forward to, but that'll all take a little bit of time to, to, to make that happen. I've commitments here in the job I had, and I'm just trying to let go of that um, and, 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 you know, finish things off. And so the date will be, hopefully, will be set in the next few days. And there's, there's a great train service. Yeah. Ta- tell <laughs> Mammy and Daddy they can jump on the train. There's a great train service between Cork and Dublin. Listen, we really uh, look forward uh, to, to welcoming you to uh, Cork and Ross, um, Father Finton, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in, in, in the future. But thanks a million for taking Not time out to talk to us really today. I appreciate talking to you and your listeners this morning and really look forward to being among you very soon. Okay, God bless. Thanks, thanks for that. Thanks, thanks for time. joining us. Father Finton Gavin, who is the Bishop elect for Cork and Ross. 1850 Uh John Paul continues to take your calls. Uh, if you want to text or WhatsApp you can 0862103103 Can I just go back to some of your comments coming in? There was comments coming in on the listener who was asking about oh this is the christening presents. This was as somebody says could you please find out from your listeners. My sister-in-law had a baby a few months ago and I gave a present when the baby was born. I've now been invited to the christening. Am I expected to give another card and another gift? I'm interested in listeners views. Jane and Mallow says I never give a newborn baby gift. I always wait until the christening for the very reason that your listener is talking about this morning. You end up going to the christening with your hands hanging. So my advice to anyone too late for your listener this morning but my advice to anyone if you have a friend whose baby who when the baby arrives wait if you know you're going to be invited to the uh, christening. While Lorraine says I always give two gifts. I will always give a newborn present Uh, usually if I don't visit the hospital it'll be afterwards as soon as the baby comes home and then I will always give another present for the christening you have to remember the christening can be a costly affair nowadays many 
newborn parents uh, will go to great lengths for christenings. I've been at christenings where it's been full sit-down meals. So it's been a cost to them. You have to be generous. It would be very mean to turn up to the event without giving something. My advice to that listener is she should buy another present. 1850-333-103 and I was tying this in with the wedding conversation that we had last week where we were talking about the do's and don'ts because it's kind of coming into wedding season and wedding invitations are starting to arrive. John in Cove says, I never give anything on the day when going to a wedding. Not even a card. (laughs) Just for very honest with this. He says, it is expensive today to attend a wedding. And at the end of the day, the couple have invited me. They want me to come along. Maybe they should be paying me as they've invited me. I don't really go to that many weddings. I wonder why, Sean. I feel they're boring, to be honest. I might go to the odd one, but I don't go to a load of them. But... So he handpicks which weddings he goes to and then the ones that he does decide for whatever reason to go to, he never ever gives a gift. His gift is his presence, which you will see not regularly, but every now and again you will see that for people who are who don't want any presence at all. But John feels, no, if you're inviting me, it's expensive enough. Why should I give a gift uh, as well? Well, luckily, John, you're pretty much on your own on that one. I think the majority of people, when they do get invited to a wedding, will always give a gift, whether they decide to go or not. I've had occasions where, and I love my weddings. I love going to weddings. I have, the husband doesn't, but I, 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 I just love them. I love the whole idea of getting dressed up. I love them magic of the service Uh, you know when people say that big lull in between when you leave the church and then you're waiting for the the dinner to start I love that the mingling and the chatting and the meeting up with people and then there's the lovely meal and then there's the chance to get up and dance after it's just great it's just great invite me to your weddings I'm I'm there I've got the hat and everything ready I love them but I appreciate that that's not it's not a fun day out for everybody else Lisa in Mallow oh Lisa in Mallow says there are changes coming to weddings and she's wondering now I don't know if this will if this will catch on here in Ireland she says this is happening in other countries where they send out invitations and you go along to the church and then you go to the reception but the bridal the, the couple do not offer a meal a select few like the very close family will go and have a meal but everybody else there's a drinks reception with nibbles now she says she hasn't seen it at weddings here in Ireland but she's heard that it's becoming popular in other countries but I'm a bit confused are you saying that the bridal party along with their parents and you know very close family that they'll go away and have a meal somewhere and then they leave all the guests having the drinks reception and the nibbles or do they stay and have the drinks reception and the nibbles and then have the meal later I'm, I'm a bit confused on that one I can't see that working and I'll tell you why I certainly can't work at an Irish wedding because Irish weddings go on for so long they are just that full day if you were to only offer nibbles at an afternoon drinks reception and then expect those people to remain on until the small hours of the morning which let's be honest that's what happens at an Irish wedding the band will stop the DJ will take over I was asking John Paul he was at a wedding at the weekend I was saying what time did you finish up and he said well the DJ ended at half three so he said we, we finished up shortly after that and that seems to be the norm at weddings you have the band and then you have the DJ and I don't think you could expect anyone to be there all day just on nibbles so I can't see that happening here in this country. But according to Lisa in Mallow, 
it is becoming popular in other countries. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie The Cork Diary With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And a couple of people are reacting to John in Cove when we're talking about weddings to say he goes to, he cherry picks the weddings that he wants to go to because he finds a lot of them are boring. He never brings a gift with him, not even a card. He says it's an expense on him to be invited and at the end of the day the couple have invited him. He actually said to John Paul that they should be paying me as they've invited me but he never ever he's never ever given any kind of a card or a present at uh, a wedding. Somebody says is that the same man who gave out about women drivers driving at certain times of the month? Do you remember that? Was not was that the same John from Cove? I have no idea. Same name could be. While Mary says good man John you certainly put a smile on my face with your comment. I wouldn't have the courage not to give a gift. It was asked to a wedding but fair play to you. I admire your courage on this one. And someone <laughs> said that Lisa in Mallow who suggested the new type of weddings she's heard of abroad where you just get nibbles. Um, someone says that's the kind of wedding that would suit John with his no card because it wouldn't cost the bride or groom much to bring him along because they would only be giving him at nibbles. 1850 John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. On the programme We have discussed the problems some families with autistic children face when trying to find an ASD special class in a local primary school. But what happens when these pupils need to move to secondary school? Graeme Manning is a coordinator of three ASD special classes in a mainstream secondary school and he's been campaigning for more of these classes to be made available and Graeme Manning uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Graeme. Good morning. Um, I'm I'm, I'm good and, and thanks a million for joining us. Now, people will assume that we have the same number of ASD special classes in primary and secondary schools but seemingly that's not the case. Uh, that's very very far from the case um, now without going too much into statistics but roughly, roughly for every one special class in secondary school there's two and a half classes in primary school so every special class has six kids in it so for every six places in a secondary school you're looking for 15 students trying to get into those six places now these are general things because some people go from special class in primary to a special school or may go into mainstream education so those numbers um, can vary depending on what the needs of the student are. But they also don't include the core of students who have an ASD diagnosis or other diagnosis and don't attend a or need the support of a special class in primary school, but very much needed in secondary. The majority of students that I would encounter and teach would fall into that category. So, so what happens? Lack of classes. So, what happens if a pupil leaves an ASD class in primary school and, yeah. and they can't access an equivalent in secondary school? What happens then? Um, there, there's a variety of different things that can happen, and none of them positive, I'm afraid. You can have students repeating years in primary school until a place becomes available. 
you can have a student who goes into a mainstream secondary school without the support of a special class. Um, and if that's what they need, then that educational placement at, the, at best means they don't achieve to their potential. It's usually far worse than that. And in a lot of instances, that placement doesn't work. The student could drop out of school. You could also end up with a student having to avail of home tuition, which is a valuable and useful service, but it isn't the, the ideal. It's meant to be a short-term um, solution. And then you can also have students that are just at home. Yeah, and I spoke with a mother only last week who's got a child in primary school, six and a half year old, who's been home home tuition because the school couldn't cope with them anymore. But she was saying like all oh, the social skills he's missing out on, and that's exactly. at six, yeah, six and a half. Whereas at teenagers, they need to be with their peers. Yeah, everybody where it's in their best interest, it doesn't apply that. To it, but the majority of students I would encounter, it's absolutely in their best interest. Need that need that environment, even for our own students. While obviously curricular attainment is important, uh, the. Uh, Life skills and social skills, from my own perspective, anyway, they're more important. Yeah, the, they're right. Are you, you're not going to leave Pythagoras' theorem in your everyday life when you're 24 or my age. Uh, you're yeah. going to need to be able to, as best you can, socialise and interact with other people. And I saw the As I Am founder, Adam Harris, uh, talking about he's conducted a bit of uh, research. Um, uh, he, you know, he talks about what he describes as hundreds of invisible, invisible children with autism and special needs being excluded from school. I mean, they're some of the of the young people that you're talking about. Yes. And there will be um, students that, like, for example, now, um, the, NC- the National Council for Special Education, the NCSC, has said it on a couple of occasions that they're broadly satisfied with the number of special classes. I have no idea how they could possibly be, and it's not a, anecdotally, I can with statistics prove that there are not enough classes. And a counter, there is no existing counter that there are not. And there are reasons for that. But um, in a lot of instances, students who have a professional recommendation of being, of needing the support of an ASD special class, if they take up a place in the mainstream school because they have no other option, then according to the NCSE, they are appropriately placed. And then once you're in a place, so if you're in first year or second year in a secondary school, the odds of then, after the fact, getting into a place, uh, getting a place in an ASD special class, which is what you originally have all along, that is what you have been suggested the support you need. Once you're not coming from sixth class into a, into a school, the chance of getting a place then diminish even further. Um, and it's all simply because schools, up, up until very recently, have the authority to just refuse to set up a class and refuse to educate children from the local community. Now, the, um, now th- this is an interesting point that people may be unaware of. Schools can actually be instructed to set up a special class where a need arises. As of January. It's a, it's a new authority that um, it came in under the previous Minister of Education. He fought tooth and nail to make sure he didn't get that authority. He made sure that the process by which, which is enacted is far longer than it needs to be. Um, the current Minister of Education does have the authority to instruct a school to set up a special class where there is a need and the school refuses. Okay, it's only, it's so only on come in since January, so is it too early to say if this is going to work? Well, it's not going to work if he doesn't use it. Yeah. And it, like, it, if, because uh, I'm familiar with the, the actual legislation because it uh, involves the business um, and the process by which it would have to go through. If a school, or if the Minister started that process today, it would not be sorted for September. There, without a shadow of a doubt, there are hundreds of students, quite possibly more than that, but I guarantee there are hundreds of students who are entitled to an appropriate education. Their professional recommendations are placed in an ASD special class in a mainstream secondary school, and that is not where they're going to be in September because they're not going to be set up. And then what type of additional funding to support an ASD class in second level is currently available? Um, There is set-up grants to start the class. 
Okay. Uh, which are, but from my own definition, I would think are absolutely they're necessary but sufficient. It's not that I would be, think me no. I'll never say no to more more grants and more support, okay. but I think they're sufficient. The issue is in the day to day running of an ASD special class in secondary school, there's not a penny to fund it because in there is in school, primary. Not a single cent in in secondary. In primary school, so these, so for example, now a kid who uh, students who are currently in an ASD um, special class in primary, yeah, and uh, are moving into a, and hopefully they're among the quarter who've got a placement for next September. At the end of this June, when they finish their education, there's two months between of the summer holidays between June and when they come back to school. In those two months, the fu- the funding for their education goes from an extra six hundred and eighty euro per student per year in primary to nothing in September. That's ridiculous. That's fo- over four thousand euro per special class to nothing once they come in in September. Um, originally, the, the National Council for Special Education, which advises the government on this, says the funding should be equal. Um, the government's own literature previously said that the funding sh- should be equal. When I found this document online, I thought, oh God, it must be some um, oversight on our part that we didn't apply for this. Very excited, rang the department. They denied the existence of the document, took it offline, edited the offending s- section, and then denied the original had ever existed. I then, in June 2017, sat down with the head of special education in the department, um, had the same conversation, was getting the same denials, until I put copies of both in front of me. And they couldn't deny it anymore. And, yeah, when it was but I, I, I'm, I'm starting to, I can kind of understand now why some secondary schools don't opt to set up a special class if they're not going to get any funding to run it. That I'm aware of. The vast majority of secondary schools aren't aware of that fact. All right, so that's not the reason. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And you've also, um, it, it, I mean, it, it, you've sent a very, you sent a very, very lengthy e- email or letter, detailed letter uh, to the Minister for Education. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to have time to go through all of it, but some of the other issues you point out, there's a problem with school transport for some there's of the pupils. School transport. Um, there are students, again, if you're, in, if you're in a special class, you're entitled to school transport. Yeah. Um, the only stipulation around that is that you have to accept transport in the nearest school. So, for example, if, you, if you're a school a mile away, a school five miles away, and you opt to go and you get offered a place in both, which is unlikely to start with, but if it happened, and you opted for the school five miles away, well, then you're adding additional expense, so you would lose school transport in that case. I've yet to hear of any parent actually doing this, but just parents are aware they have to accept the nearest place in a special class that they're offered. Um, the issue then um, is that there aren't enough taxi drivers who are interested in doing the job, and that's the whole preference. Obviously, they don't have to, but previously, um, people who had correct insurance, driving license, and guard clearance, but were not actual taxi drivers, were allowed transport um, students to school. There was mm-hmm. a contract for that. There are a few a few people who, I think the contracts are five-year contracts, so there are still currently people who will be in that. But the government um, have decided that they will no longer issue those contracts to anyone who isn't a taxi driver. But there aren't enough taxi drivers. So again, yeah. There are hundreds of students and who we've, have got the plane, yeah, we know where they're going. I've interviewed, I've interviewed parents and they've ended up having to drive their children to and from school every day because there's no taxi available. Exactly, which, and I know some listeners will say, well, I have to drive my children. Yes, but you, you, in most instances, when you're not in the local school, class, you're going to the local school. Yeah, that's not, it's I not the case. I have travel more than 50 kilometres a day to get to and from school. And, Graham, another thing that I was unaware of, is it true that students with ASD do not have an, an exemption for Irish? Yes, you have to apply for it. Um, now, to get a diagnosis of autism, you have to have a difficulty in communication. How that presents can be wildly different at different ages and at different times for different people. Now, it doesn't affect everyone equally, but if you don't have a difficulty in communication, you do not have autism. 
Um, now there's more complex debate around it, but you don't. Um, from my personal perspective, everyone with autism should get an automatic exemption, and then you could opt and should, with the option of opting out. Yeah. These, if you go into primary school setting or an early intervention setting, and you have difficulty with communication, you have difficulty with your uh, English, which is your first language. The idea of adding a second language to that Lunacy. at that age does not make any sense. At later ages, like I have students now, uh, or I have countless students, I know of students who would have an Irish exemption, but then do French at secondary school. Yeah. And someone turns around, well, how can you do that? Because the French at secondary school in first year starts from day one, and they already have the basis in English. So they're not, Whereas if they do the Irish in secondary school, it's assumed that you have that eight years in primary school basis. And there are an awful lot of students in secondary or in primary schools who... Um, don't do an Irish exemption, um, but are not actually doing Irish. Okay. As, 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 or they're being sent elsewhere. Yeah, I, I, you've sent all of these points and many more in this very detailed letter to the Minister for Education. Have you had a reply? No, absolutely not. In fairness, to, uh, I don't like being fair. I haven't missed Mr. McHugh, but um, there will be a reply. There's always a reply. Um, what, the bog standard one saying we acknowledge receipt of your email? Oh, well, I've got that. But there is, there is one that, that will go through what I have in the email. It will tend to meander around things. It will falsely present, present statistics that are quite easily debunked as not proving what their, the minister or his office say they prove. Um, now, hopefully, in some of the instances, they'll turn around and go, oh, yes, okay. For example, on the, um, the lack of funding um, for special class in secondary school. Mm. When I, that meeting I described earlier with the head of special education, I was told December 2018 that that funding would be made equal. I was like, okay, I'll stop annoying you. Know, that's brilliant. It's great. Of course, December 2018 has yeah. Nothing has happened. But would he not, would the, the minister not sit down and talk with somebody like you? I mean, you're working at the cold face. I made the point earlier that I've spoken with a lot of parents and obviously they can be very emotional uh, interviews because it's somebody fighting tooth and nail for their son or daughter. So it's very, absolutely they shouldn't have to be doing They've enough on their plate. But you're at the cold face of it, Graeme. Like, you know, you can see the problems, you know the solutions. Why are you not being hauled in before the minister to say, what do we need to do? Well, his predecessor wouldn't be wouldn't meet with me. Um, uh, minister, current minister, I forget what minister uh, Bruton is now. Um, he wouldn't meet with me. Uh, not that he has to meet with me. He wouldn't meet with anyone who was looking for to do the same thing. It doesn't have to be me. I, I care about the changes happening. I don't care about how they happen. Um, and like I said, I met, I'm going to say, six, seven of his ministerial colleagues in the Taunashta, but the minister himself would not. I have asked um, to meet Mr. McHugh. Hopefully he will. I take uh, it you've met with local politicians, tried to go yes, that I, route. Yeah, I absolutely have, and I've uh, from a no, n- number of politicians around the country who have a- who have also asked the minister to meet with me. Whether he will or not, now is up to himself. Well, I hope he does. I really hope he does. Listen, um, we will stay in contact uh, with you, Graham. We need, we need more Grahams in this world uh, writing letters like this and getting something done. And if we, we need more people to listen to you, that's the important thing. Listen, real pleasure talking to you, Graham. Thank you for that. As it is you. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. And uh, I appreciate you taking time out because he's, uh, he's obviously at class today as well. That is uh, Graham uh, Manning, who's a coordinator of three S- ASD special classes. So he knows where he's coming from. He knows what, what he's talking about. They are the ones. They are the ones who should be before the ministers and before the civil servants, and they should be the ones making the uh, decision. Uh, 18, uh, 1850 cannot state the importance of these this is a text in saying cannot state the importance of these ASD units that you're speaking about I have a child that attended one in Skibbereen the coordinators and the staff are out 
outstanding. Well done. Thank you for that to 0862 103 103. Okay, we need to take a break. We are heading towards news at 12 midday. We will catch up on calls and comments that have been coming in throughout the morning. And uh, Joe Heflin after half 12, we'll talk about burnout. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. I think you're the first woman I've ever met who actually owns up to snoring loudly. <laughs> Yeah, I do. It's beautiful here in Cork, McSherry, every day of my life. I heard the sun shines all year round. Is that right? It does. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can I get a go at that question, Vine? Good afternoon, Nick. Uh, is there a difference between the ground and the floor? No, I just wonder. Like, very is detailed, man. Is it, is it very cryptic, like, you know? Join me weekday afternoons from 1. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some breaking news um, in the Debenhams have gone into administration. The British department store chains lenders have now seized control of the company. It means all its shares, including the 30% owned by Sports Direct's Mike Ashley are effectively worthless because he's going to be a happy camper today and nothing will change in the shops right now but I don't know what it says going forward that's going to be a big shock to the workers in Debenhams I know I was hearing that sports that I knew Sports Direct owned 30% of Debenhams and I did hear earlier this morning that there was talks that they were trying to sink money into it but um, John Paul tells me that it came the offer came too late uh, so hence the reason that that news has just broken that the lenders have now seized control of the company so that's the story no doubt that we will hear more of but if you are a shopper and a lover of shopping in Debenhams then you'll be certainly disappointed to hear that news OK there are a lot of calls and comments coming in weddings we're back to weddings again uh, today and we're talking this time about the meals at weddings and what people can expect when they go to weddings. I suppose this was kicked off by somebody who said that they've seen, seems to be on the continent, it's a new trend where you don't give a full meal. You just give a kind of a, not even a buffet, nibbles, I think was what was uh, suggested. Well, Mary's been on straight away to say that uh, she's going to a wedding in Mayo. 
during the summer and uh, there will be a number of people travelling up from uh, Cork. Now, that's a fair bit of a journey. She said they'd be dead by the end of the day if they travelled all that way and then got no meal. Surely people don't expect to go to a wedding and not to have me. That Yeah, this is that's what I said. And maybe it's a continental thing. I can never, ever see it happening in this uh, country. Georgian Mallow said it's becoming popular with some um, some weddings that you don't have a full meal. That they, It's a buffet. Well, that's still a full meal, but it's a buffet style rather than to be actually served. And I'm assuming for the couple, it would be cheaper. It would be cheaper to go to a hotel, wouldn't it, and say we'll do a buffet style. So that's the way. And a lot of it, this is done, of course, is to try and bring down the costs. Even though when we did our interview, was it last week when we had the One Fine Day, you know, that online anything to do with weddings it's it's the uh, an online magazine called uh, One Fine Day and we, we spoke with the editor there and she was and I asked her I just said what's the average wedding and she was saying about 30,000 people are still spending about 30,000 because we like our traditions we like our full sit down meal and the band and the cake and the photographer and you know we like to keep it traditional but I suppose there are some people that just want to break with the tradition because they simply can't afford it so going with a buffet style meal might be one way around that Tom and Balancholic said people that go to weddings seem to be more worried about the food than the real reason they are there. They are missing out on the whole point of the day. You are there to celebrate and the coming together of two people who are in love and you're there to celebrate with them. Tom says that he's attended weddings with very large attendances and the meal can be, oh, he's back to buffet style as well and very, very relaxed. He thinks weddings are an individual thing and you should respect with whatever people go with. It's their decision, it's their wedding at the end of the day and people should not be so critical of it. I don't know if there's anything else in on uh, weddings, re-weddings. What's the going rate for a couple attending a wedding at the moment? Thank you. We discussed that last week. €200, Euro, I think, is what we... Between 150 and €200 Euro for cash gifts was what we came out with. Now, we've also been talking about gifts and gifts that you would give. It's moved on to christenings. We've got from the weddings. They've already had the baby. We've gone to the christenings. And this was, uh, this was started with a listener who contacted us who's going to a christening has been invited to a christening she's a sister-in-law she's been invited to a christening but she's already given a gift when the baby was born she went out and bought a gift and gave the gift and she's wondering is that enough you know when you go along to the christening which can be anything from what three to six months after the birth of the baby do you go and do the couple look at you and say oh sure that's fine you gave the present when the baby was born or should she bring something else? And we're getting a kind of a mixed reaction. Some people are saying you can't turn up to a christening with absolutely nothing in your hands. Others are saying you can. If you bought a nice, generous gift when the baby was born, that's enough. You shouldn't be expected to give another gift. Nancy in Bantry says, I always buy something for the baby. And then I'll also all buy something for the mother, like a little bottle of perfume. It's nice to give something to the mother. And sure, if you like the dad, you can buy the dad something as well, maybe like a bottle of aftershave. The baby can get an awful lot of stuff. Now, by God, there's no truer word there. That in itself is a problem with newborns. And I think, am I right in saying the first baby? And if it's the first baby in a family, maybe the first of a sibling, you know, somebody that might have brothers and sisters and they're the first to have a baby and all the aunts and uncles want to give and everybody wants to be kind and uh, generous. I take it there isn't any person listening who had a newborn baby and as I say I'm I'm, I'm, class, I'm saying that I'm generalising this as the first and maybe it happens with the second and other uh, subsequent births but certainly on the first where you get so many 
items, particularly the newborn outfits that you, that your baby does not wear them all. Uh, is it fair to say that that you'll just get too much stuff? Now, do you re-gift? Do you pass on to the go into the charity shops? Because often, if you're in the charity shops, you will notice the amount of baby clothes, brand new, and they're. Their, their, their presents that were gifted and people being very kind and very generous but yeah, baby I think Nancy and Bantry is right that baby can and does get literally too much stuff I don't know how you get around that I don't know how you stop that you can't say to people don't buy for the baby please so I don't I don't know how you, how you would get around that but anyway back to the christening and what do you do for the christening my grandchild was christened two years ago says a texter and just two very nice people who had already given a gift gave another gift on the day the child's parents didn't expect it. Some people expect too much. What annoys me is when people don't send a thank you note. I think John, by the way, is very mean to say that he goes to a wedding without a gift. John in Cove, I tell you, it's a lot of people. Then while we'd, some, well, someone was impressed and said, Mary was impressed and thought that John was a very brave man and she admired his courage. She wouldn't have the courage though to turn up without a gift at a wedding, but she admires him. She thinks he's brave uh, for doing it. But other people are not. Other people do not like the idea that John is going to all, going to, he doesn't go to many. He handpicks, he cherry picks. He seems to be a popular man though because he gets invited to enough of them. But he doesn't go to all of them because he finds, in the main, he finds them boring. But the ones that he does decide to turn up to, he, he will not give a gift and he feels they're expensive enough. The day out is expensive enough without expecting a gift as well. And he went so far as to say that they should be giving him something for attending if they want him there that badly. And thank you to Michael who says, Patricia, when you were talking earlier with the Bishop-elect, you referenced Crystal Swing and you re- referenced Derek Burke and I said Derek Ryan. And do you know something? I Derek's surname out of my head. And I said, did I say Ryan instead of Burke? I meant Derek Burke. Yeah, I, I thank you for that and thank you for pointing that out uh, to me. And I... I um, don't know if the bishop knew. That's why I said Crystal Swing in case he wasn't aware who Derek from... Derek is probably more known as Derek from Crystal Swing than Derek Burke, but I said Derek Ryan, who's another fine country and western singer. Is he uh, not? Okay, uh, stay with the bishop for a second. Patricia, hi. Uh, Just listening to your chat with Bishop-elect Father Fintan Gavin. He sounds like a lovely man. He does, doesn't he? My seven John Paul during news at 12 were saying the same thing. He does sound like a lovely man. He will face a lot of challenges when he comes to join us in Cork and Ross. As one of his parishioners in West Cork, though, I wish him well in this new chapter in his life and welcome to Cork. And it is a huge challenge that he faces. But I like the idea that he's young and he's enthusiastic. He's only in his early 50s. Now, that's not to say that he is younger than Bishop Buckley. Bishop Buckley was full of, was, is, is, is as enthusiastic today as the day he was when he uh, took over. But Father, Finian, Father Finton is taking over a very different parish to what, to what Bishop John Buckley uh, took over. I mean, even there's half the number of priests same number of parishes, but half the number of priests. That's his, probably one of his biggest problems. We're already seeing that a number of parishes are sharing a priest. That's a bit, that's a, you know, that's a difficult, difficult thing to try and keep that and maintain that and maintain masses at uh, parishes. And then we have an ageing. The priests that are in the parish are ageing. And I was to hear him say there's only one 
gone gone into the seminary uh, this year. So you know, we 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 just we just don't we're not ordaining enough priests. We're going to have to look abroad. I think is what's going to ha- happen. But anyway, yeah, I I enjoyed my chat with him, and hopefully it will be the first of many chats with the Bishop-elect for Cork and uh, Ross. He came across as just such a lovely, lovely man. We were talking about autism and says Patricia on the autism units and issues around that. I lobbied Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock in Mallow for help and he was brilliant along with his team. Kind regards, says uh, Anne. And yeah, and Sean and Una in his office is, is fantastic. And I know another guy who's particularly good is... Fianna Falls, Michael Moynihan. He's another guy who's uh, very good with their children with their special needs, if, you know, if they're looking for services. But it's wrong. It's just so wrong that parents of special needs, children and adults, it's wrong that, and I say we, because I can, I can say it as a parent of, of a special needs daughter, it's wrong that we have to go to politicians to lobby and you know, writing letters and endlessly making phone calls and knocking on doors and begging. It's it just, you know, the service should be there when our kids need the service. service. That's what we've all paid tax all of our lives for. And it is wrong that we constantly have to fight and be the voice. And, and we're lucky that we can be the voice. And I would be conscious and aware of other families who are not able to shout loud enough. And you do have to shout loud enough. And what is it, the squeaky oil the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's you know it's he who shouts loudest, which is which is wrong. But yeah, uh, you have to go to politicians, and politicians do there. And and again, it's it's you know at times you think are we wasting the politicians' time? They, they, there's other things that they should be doing besides having to lobby on behalf of their constituents. But that is very much part of their job. On waiting lists and hospitals and going into A&E and what's happening in A&E. We had one person making a suggestion, Mossy in, in West Cork, as a way of trying to stop our health services and our emergency departments being clogged up. Mossy is suggesting that people should branch out into other forms of ancient but recognised forms of healing. He talks about things like acupuncture, homeopathy, nutrition. He said, listen to Annalise Drussell every Monday and the great advice she offers around diet and eating properly. People should be advised to try other forms of healing. The definition of madness, says Mossy, is doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same result. Uh, thanking you, says Mossy in West Cork, who's a great advocate of alternative health. And lots of people have had great success when it comes to alternative health, but we will always need mainstream, uh, n- mainstream medicine as well, because unfortunately, Everything can't be cured with alternative. But if we look after ourselves, you are right, Massey. And diet comes into it. You know, good nutrition comes it comes into it in maintaining good health. So you certainly are right on that one. Thank you for for your text. And then someone else is pointing out that they saw a poster up in Mallow Hospital at the outpatients. And this actually, I think I saw a similar po- this poster. I think came as an ad in one of the papers as well. It was from the HSE, from the South South West group of hospitals saying 78,231 patients did not attend their outpatients appointment. I think that was across, was it 2018? Was it across last year? And in Mallow uh, 191 
in October alone in Mallow Hospital did not attend an outpatient's appointment. No wonder the waiting list is so long. It's only manners and a quick phone call to cancel an appointment if you can't go or don't want to go. Or perhaps a family member passes away while on the waiting list. Manners would dictate that some other family member would pick up the phone and cancel the appointment. People have to realise they're contributing to the 18-month-plus waiting list if you don't turn up and if you don't let the hospital know because if you let the hospital know somebody else on the waiting list can then get your appointment and and you're right and too many people don't show and and I I, I, I can never work out why if you put yourself on a waiting list now I do understand that people pass away when they're on the waiting list and that can be really upsetting to for other family members when next to kin gets a letter wondering does you know does Bridie still want a hip replacement and Bridie's passed away and you can be like the husband can get the letter or I remember when my own mother many years ago passed away a good 18 months later I think so that and that was back in the in the early 90s uh, my sister who was living at home got a letter looking for did she want to get a, her hip to, she, to get, she was due to get a second hip replaced she'd had the first one successfully done but she never got to see the second one uh, being done and just remember it's, it's upsetting for a letter like that uh, to arrive and I know unless the hospitals are contacted they're not to know uh, either there's no sort of joined up system there to let the to let everybody know that somebody has uh, passed away uh, 1850 I believe small hospitals could be used as daytime treatment facilities, says the texter. For elderly, uh, are patients needing, for example, physiotherapy or checkups? Maybe they might need bandage changes or wound dressing after surgery. Taking patients back to centres of excellence for these non-serious checkups is a waste of time and a waste of admin staff time that could be diverted on to the main wards. Uh, and that is, that is the way that it. Uh, we need to look at the smaller hospitals and just look. I suppose we need to look at how we're doing things more than anything else. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. A sample of some of your texts and calls are coming in. Uh, keep them coming. The C one zero three Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Now we've got an information night will be held in the Cope Quartertown in Mallow tonight at seven. The topic will be on the housing needs of people with an intellectual disability. The guest speaker will be councillor, I'm assuming that is John Paul O'Shea and Christy O'Connell. Admission is free. The Blood Transfusion Service Board will host a donor clinic in St. Joseph's Daycare Centre that's in Rathmore this evening between 6 and 9pm. Um, a fundraising night for the Formoy and District Lourdes Fund will be held in the local bar in Glamworth. It's on on Friday night, starts at nine. Music's by Steve and there's going to be some great spot prizes. Daffodil Day marked the 28th annual fundraiser for the Wallace family in Cloyne and it was their most successful year yet, raising €8,548 the Irish Cancer Society. The official check presentation will be made to the Irish Cancer Society at half past seven tomorrow, Wednesday, and it'll be at the Spittal Cottages in Cloyne. Well done to all of the Wallace uh, family. That is an incredible achievement. And a table quiz to help Chernobyl affected families in Belarus will be held in Mona's Bar in Mallow this Thursday night. That's at half past eight. Tables of four, 40 euros. 
going to some of your texts in. A listener says, Trisha, just wondering, when is the fuel allowance money ending? Fuel allowance money for fuel allowance is paid from the 1st of October 2018 to Friday the 12th of April. So this week is the last week for the fuel allowance for people who get the fuel allowance paid weekly. Others um, didn't they start that a couple of years ago? People took it in two lump sums so they could buy oil or they could buy um, coal or other fuel bite in bulk um, and you can get a better bargain if you're if you're buying in bulk. So this week, this week is the last week for the fuel allowance and some of your texts coming in on christenings Sheila says when I'm going to a christening I will normally bring a few gifts for the baby's older brothers and sisters that's something that people need to remember because if you're going along and there's other little brothers or sisters who don't understand why is baby getting everything you could have jealousy on your hands so there's Sheila very kind person she thinks of the older siblings as well as a gift for the baby. Somebody says, Patricia, you're, you are right. Babies do get so many presents, newborn babies. It's ridiculous. There's no way they could possibly wear all of the clothes that they receive. What I've started doing of late is I put a cash gift of, say, €20 Euro into a card. Then it can be used when the baby actually needs something or if the parents want, they can put it away for the child's education. Back to weddings. Hi, Patricia, what's the story? If you're invited to a wedding and you can't go, are you expected to still give a gift? If so, how much? Oh, God. Thanking you, says the West Cork listener. So if we've said the average is for a couple and we're assuming this is a couple got invited to a wedding and they can't go, we're saying the average is between 150 and 200 euro was what came out last week is the average that a couple give at a wedding today. If you're not going, do you give half of that or is that too much? Oh, could you buy a gift? Would have been, could you get away with buying a gift rather than giving a cash? Anyway, if people want to offer advice to that listener, please do. And this is Nolene in Castletown Bear says, if I get married again, John from Cove won't be asked. He's a mean pup. When I got married 10 years ago, I told our friends that I knew, I genuinely knew, couldn't afford a gift and all the other costs that go with the wedding. So I pulled them aside and I said, please join us. You don't have to give a gift. Your presence on the day uh, is enough. That's very kind of you, uh, Nolene. Well done. Uh, and I'm sure that goes on as well. I'm sure there are people will know if a family member is going through a tough time or if a very close friend is going through a tough time or maybe somebody, you know, w- with weddings as well, you know, you could have a lot of people the same age. Obviously, you're going to be inviting your, your peers and your friends. The People could be after buying houses and they're into all the expense of that. And maybe they had their own wedding. You know, that I think it's it's nice if somebody recognises that and actually goes to somebody and says, look, there's a wedding invitation. It's either in the post or here it is. Please come along. I'm not expecting anything from you. You know, that uh, that's really kind, kind thing to do. And talking about kind things to do, Charlie was on to say we were at a wedding. It's about five years ago. And we gave 150 uh, euro. At the time five years ago the average was about 100 and then a couple of years ago it started going up to 150 euro ago but we decided to be generous and we gave 150 euro putting in the extra 50 euro a few weeks later the groom met me says Charlie and he handed me back the 50 euro and he said way too much you shouldn't have given that 100 was enough and actually handed Charlie back 50 euro Charlie said I thought that was very kind uh, of him 
that's the first. I mean, that's the that's the actual exact opposite of what happened to the Australian that kicked this all off last week. The Australian couple who gave money and an expensive candle and didn't give enough. And the bride came back to the friend and said, you haven't given enough. I think they, she gave $300 and the bride came back and says it cost $500 to have you and your husband at the wedding. You owe me $200 for attending my, my wedding. So the exact opposite happened to Charlie. The groom says, you're too generous. Here, half back 50 euros. Now that's the first. I don't think I have ever heard that happen before, but maybe it has. 1850 John Paul is taking your calls. Uh, you can text her WhatsApp 86 103103. We're going to take a break and we're back uh, chatting with Joe Heffner. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Only yesterday on the programme I was speaking with Harold Kingston of the IFA Harold Farms in Cork McSherry and he gave a, and we mentioned the fact that he gave a very honest and brave I felt interview on the Late Late Show on Friday night where he spoke about this time last year and how on all the strains and pressures of the weather and just the strains and pressures that farming life uh, can bring uh, led to uh, burnout so we're going to discuss burnout with Joe Heffernan uh, today on the programme. Uh, good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, I, I, I don't know, did you see Harold and the others on the Late Late? Did you hear him on the programme yesterday? I did, both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, firstly, um, I thought he was very brave. Indeed, indeed. But you know, it's really, really good to talk about these things that I suppose burnout can become a very um, solitary, isolating thing. And it's only when we reach out that, um, you know, and reaching out needn't be constructive. It might sound like a big, big thing, but it's not. It may be talking to someone you trust um, to say, you know, um, I, I'm I'm not feeling well at all these times. And um, that almost, well, no, not even almost, that invariably helps. Um, some people just need, as um, that gentleman did, um, you know, he was very lucky. There was a network of friends and well, IFA people. Yeah, who came and to as, the as, as I said to him, you know, he just needed a bit of a dig out. And, and that mehel, that wonderful yeah. mehel that exists in West Cork and, and in other rural areas, yeah. people rallied. And, and he would be the first, I know the guy well, he would be the first if he was called on in the morning he'd be the first one out there on, on the back of a tractor doing whatever he could do uh, to help out. And people, but, but sometimes people just need to be, to, need, we need to say, we need help. Yeah, yeah. Like, for example, um, not happening on it, but the time that we got the diagnosis, that Ken got the diagnosis about the cancer, um, I know that there are people in the, especially in the old days, uh, that would be like, don't mention that to people, you know? And, um, the dreaded we, C word. Well, yeah. Well, we couldn't have been, I suppose, more open. And um, But, you know, the amount of uh, people from the community who called at the door to say hi, heard the bad news and hope you're okay and that, you know. Um, and just offering you support. Yeah. And that's what you needed at that Absolutely. moment in time. Whereas if you had battened down the hatches and not said yeah. it to anyone, you're then struggling with this shocking news and you're doing it on your own. Yeah, and, mm. and even the very fact of the support is actually 
um, you know, in every way, physically, emotionally helpful. Um, you know, you just feel, <coughs> you feel the goodwill. Yeah, and, which is, um, which is and, fantastic. And okay, but, but what, what is job burnout? I suppose that's the first thing to, to get out of the way. Well, it covers both the physical, the emotional and the mental, and it results in sort of exhaustion. Um, it's exposure to uh, over-demanding work situations, although, as I think it was Siobhan on the late late pointed out, that can be combined with personal issues in one's life as well, mm. which, of course, wouldn't help at all. Um, I mean, how many people are juggling, especially uh, women, who are juggling jobs with... Um, parenting, um, uh, maybe very small children. And, um, I mean, you know, it's not just the job, but it can be. Uh, Like, people would be at risk now who kind of identify uh, almost exclusively with work. If you ask them, who are you, kind of, they tell you what they do. Um, And there isn't any kind of what you'd call a reasonable balance between work and personal life. Um, There's no switching off. No, no. I knew a couple in Galway years and years and years ago. And um, it was during the madness, as I call it, uh, during the boom. And um, uh, the man was doing extremely well. I mean, it was go, go, go. He was driving a very fancy Merc. She had a BMW. Um, All the... All the external things were flying. He was never but working. And the next thing was, I got a phone call, um, they had parted. Um, You know, they had no family life. Um, She was at home behind the closed door raising the kids. He was out working morning, noon and night. And, um, you know, uh, a night out, a meal out, um, um, a visit to the cinema, um, anything like that. It just never happened. And um, so while, it, while, while the family had all the hallmarks of absolute success, the next thing was they, 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 they parted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just uh, it was a kind of a very much a life lesson, um, you know, um, because we can, um, you know, there's no doubt about it, um, we can get wrapped up in the work. And, uh, and and forget other, what's important. And other, yeah, things. And often. and who who's at risk of job burnout? Who's most well, at risk? The, the, you know, a person who is trying to be all things to all people. A person who who just cannot say no. Also, a kind of a perfectionist person, maybe who won't delegate. The only way that this will be done right is if I do it myself. That kind of way. Um. You know, so that would contribute. Um, uh, and uh, another one is like that the job is monotonous. No, maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank God, like, neither you nor me would have jobs that we'd call monotonous. I mean, they, they're the very opposite, really. But um, I suppose if you're doing the same old, same old every single day, um, well, then... Um, uh, I I suppose you could get burned out from that. It, it's it's yeah. If it's very monotonous, um, 
a person who feels that they have little or no control over their work. Like, I would have spoken to many a person and I would have said, like, you know, um, it would be kind of a rhetorical question because I'd know, and the person would be after making it clear, that the answer was no, was like, have you a clear job description? And <coughs> many a person would say, not at all. Um, it's a case of, like, what comes up um, is landed on, on my desk or landed to me, and um, I, I've, I've no control over it. Um, I was talking, uh, uh, again, years and years ago to a person in a, in a very high-demanding uh, job, um, very well-paid, something around just about the six figures, and um, she was leaving it and uh, going to something that would be maybe, maybe two-thirds of the pay, maybe not, maybe, maybe not, but... Um, uh, the uh, the culture of the firm that she was working for was what was admired was first in in the morning, last out at night. Crazy, that, huh? Crazy, yeah, crazy. Because yeah. I, I I was listening to a, a very successful businessman, and unfortunately, you know when you you catch an interview and you you miss the person's name, and I I missed the, this this guy's name. It was on radio over the weekend, and uh, a very successful businessman. Um, I mean, billionaire had sold a number of companies and and uh, just started another new company. But one of his philosophies, and like he's got three thousand people working for him. There's no there's no clocking in time. There's no clocking in clocking out time. But there's no set holidays. You take holidays according as you need them. And it was put to him. But what if someone decided to take three months? off and he said which it's up to you if you wanted to take three months off but the team that you work with wouldn't be too happy with you taking three months off and he said somebody new had joined the company and he rang him to say oh by the way just to let you know my son's got a parent teacher meeting I need to take a half day on uh, today blah blah and he said I said to him what are you telling me that for you know what I mean if you need to go to be at your son's school then be at your son's school and I just thought what a great work ethic and he said nobody abuses it right and, right. and that everyone was very relaxed about it and when people needed downtime people took downtime and he said he got much better work from his workers because they were appreciated and you know it, it sounded to me like a company that definitely wasn't going to have burnout Yeah I was reading over the weekend that um, a text of appreciation like um, that was a good job or well done there that that means more to a person than a raise in pay and I think we'd all agree with that. Yeah. We yeah. all love that to hear from a boss or somebody up the chain to say, God, you did that really well. Yeah. You know what I mean? We all, yeah. we all have egos at the end of the day, don't we? So, yeah. yeah. So, but they're, 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 they're small things. And another cohort of people who are risk of burnout are people in the caring profession, the healing profession. Apparently, the, the, the burnout rate there is much higher. And as I can well understand it, people who are in healthcare, people who are carers, People in my own line of work, um, doctors, teachers, um, I suppose in a way like, um, you know, one feels a responsibility. Um, I mean, <coughs> I'll be the first to admit now, and, and I shouldn't, but anyway, um, there's many a Sunday that in the afternoon that I, I could say, you know, I've a report or two to write, and I'm not going to have time, and I'll do it now. And... Uh, um, you know, you feel that um, uh, if a person is waiting for that and needs that, well, that's a big, um, 
motivator to do it, even in the off time. But like, you have to watch it. You you just have to watch it because, um, you know, if you ask yourself like, when was the last time we had a break? When was the last time we went out for a meal? Although in our case now, last Saturday night well we done. were in Greens for Mary's big birthday. Well done. Happy birthday, Mary. Yeah, yeah. But like, to make time for things like that, um, you know, not to be kind of always saying, oh, gee, sorry, no, I'd love to do that, but I can't. Um uh, you know, not to have work take over your life, um, even for all the right reasons, even if it is in the helping professions, um, you know, to 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 ask yourself fairly regularly, just to have a think about it, to, to, to five seconds. When is the last time we had a night out? And if the answer is it's been a long time, well then, you know. Um, <laughs> maybe it's time to start looking up what's on at the Everyman, what's on at the INEC, mm-hmm. and all that. When is the last time we were at... Um, and, and, and what are the symptoms of burnout? Well, the symptoms are um, both um, uh, physical and emotional. Um, the physical ones would be being tired all the time, feeling drained, um, maybe having constant another kidney infection, another chest infection, you know, one after the other, the all immune system down. Um, the ones you'd hear about a lot would be headaches, back pain, muscle aches, that kind of thing. Um, uh, not sleeping well would be a big one, a very big one. Um, maybe not eating properly. Um, I, I get given out to regularly that um, in the middle of dinner, if the phone rings, I don't, I don't just let it ring. I go and answer it, and then I get an earful. Uh, um, but um, it's not a good idea. No, let, um, let it ring out and you can answer it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. And um, of course, if, if you are, um, you know, suffering symptoms of burnout, I mean, it was one of the things all of the panellists on the late, late the other night, you're not doing your job to your best ability when, when you're at that stage. No, no. I mean, if you're if you're suffering from all those kind of things, how can you possibly uh, have your mind on the job? You might be going through the motions, but really and truly, you're 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 sort of um, you're you're kind of absent because um, you've so many other things. Like if you have lower back pain, I mean, there's no way that you're giving a hundred percent to 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 what you're doing. Um, um, another part of like the bu- symptoms of burnout would be finding that you're being very touchy. Um, you know that <coughs> that um, that you're very quick with the kind of cynical or um, uh, critical remark. You know, um, because you see you're under pressure all the time. Although I think it's very important, and we might get wrong to this too at some stage. But like. Um, the difference between stress and burnout, they, they're actually quite different. Like stress is characterized by over-engagement with work and everything like that. Now, it can lead to burnout, but when you're at burnout, um, there's um, a disengagement um, and emotions are blunted. So stress leading up to burnout, stress is over-engagement, and then if you get to burnout, 
it's like disengagement. It's um, you're not you're not feeling the feelings at all. You're just you're. You, it's like a battery that has gone. Uh, Flat. Down to zip flat. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're yeah, you're almost yeah. going around, around like a zombie. Yeah. There's a danger then that you start self-medicating, isn't there? Well, that's one of the big dangers. Um, uh, the lady on the late late now um, would have I identified with that. Um, that she started to uh, overdo the glasses of wine or whatever, um, medicating her pain, her emotional pain, um, with alcohol. And and that is dangerous. And of course, um, uh, all responsible and uh, 99.999% are responsible doctors. They may prescribe something for relaxation or sleep over a very short period of time just to get someone, as it were, over a hump. But um, then if one becomes over-reliant uh, on uh, medication, um, well then, actually the cure becomes um, a, a second problem. But the, the the main one that we're so used to hearing would be uh, the alcohol one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, all right. And um, we are going to move this on next week and we look at ways of preventing burnout because it is preventable. Yeah. Yeah, once one, I suppose, to be, as they say, awareness is curative. Once you're aware, once you can kind of step back and have a look at yourself and say, wow, okay. And maybe what next week then would do, hopefully, would be that if someone is really overstressed and is uh, maybe heading for burnout, that they might say, okay, how many of these boxes am I ticking? And if I find that I'm ticking quite a lot of them, well then, maybe I'd better make a couple of changes. Okay, and we'll look at that uh, next week. And somebody by the name of Mary says, Patricia, the man's name that you mentioned, the businessman who seems to have a great way of running a business, uh, is a gentleman by the name of Norman Kingston. Uh, I heard that, that I heard that interview myself. He's a fine West Cork man. I was unaware yeah. of that. Okay. Yeah. Well done to Norman Kingston. Okay. We leave it there, uh, Joe. Listen, thank you for that and we'll chat again next week. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. You mind yourself. Take care. That yeah. is uh, Joe Heffernan. Uh, Joe runs a counselling practice in Bohubway. His number is 029-766-17. And I want to send congratulations to John Flynn, who has been named overall winner of the News Brands Press Pass Awards. It was a nationwide journalism competition of which 10,000 transition year students across Ireland took part. And John Flynn came out as the overall winner. John is a student from Caloshton, Cuiveen in Formoy. And he picked up his top prize of um, in uh, which he picked up the top prize, which was a piece that he wrote. It was described as an eye-catching opinion piece on scouting and its impact on his uh, life. And he picked up his award in Dublin yesterday. There were 16 students. I think now there was a few other Cork awards were given out, but John got the overall pli- prize. So well done, John Flynn of Colossian Quivine in Formoy, a journalist of the future that we need to keep an eye out for. Congratulations uh, to you. And in all of the papers today, there is the most wonderful, wonderful photograph. Baby in arms is how a lot of people are, are putting it. It's the baby gorilla who they reckon has weighed in at about two, two and a half kgs, born to first time mum and dad at Dublin Zoo. And there are spectacular 
photographs of mother and baby. They're unable to determine the gender of the infant as a Kaifi, who is the mum, has been keeping the baby so close to her chest since the birth. But they're just gorgeous. You come to look at that animal and think, how do people, you know, gorillas in the mist when you hear about the awful way the gorillas have been treated in, in their native countries. It's just shocking to think anyone could kill such a beautiful, majestic uh, animal. Anyway, just wanted to give a mention. That's where I've got to leave you for today. Thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. We are back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.